This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast where some of us do own NFTs, and by NFTs I mean nice fucking tits. My name is Alice Vaughn, and with me I have my amazing, fun, nerdy co-host, Andrew Heaton. Oh, hello! How are you doing today? I didn't even know I'd been upgraded to co-host. I thought I was just a special guest again. This is like a really cool Battlefield promotion, so I am elated. This is the biggest raise slash promotion I've had in a couple of years, so I'm thrilled and very glad to be back, Alice. The pay is the same, though. Okay. Which is non-existent. Most of my jobs are like that. That's fine. Perfect. But I am a co-host now, so I can kind of swing that around at bars. I can put that on my resume, all that. Nerdy co-host, all good. You know, some people do ask for that on LinkedIn. Okay. It's right up there with a crypto enthusiast and influencer, co-host on Two Girls on Mike. Nice. Excellent. Good. All right. I'm thrilled. And again, glad to be back. So speaking of crypto enthusiasts and additional guests we have on, we have Ayla. Ayla, how do I introduce you? I keep seeing you as the girl who asks a million questions on Twitter. <laughs> well, I do have a million questions to ask, but often I get naked and then sometimes I guess I dabble in crypto, among other things. But you don't just get naked. I was reading an article and somehow your name came up that, okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, are pulling in a, over six figures a month? I was last year when I was working really hard. I've burned out a little bit, so I'm kind of taking a break. So, uh, but yeah, I was averaging, I think last year I averaged about 60,000 a month. Holy crap. Wow. Uh, good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's mostly marketing, ironically. So I guess maybe it's more appropriate to say I just I do marketing with some boobs thrown in. God, I need to get better at both of those <laughs> things. I have no idea how to market anything. I just like I just I go on Twitter and I'm like, hey, universe, I made this thing. It's very clever. And that does not work no. very well. So I don't know. Maybe maybe 2021 will be the year I learn. You gotta try making a Twitter poll. Ask them which thing you like better. Like you know when you give toddlers a choice so that they they feel engaged. Uh -huh. Yeah, like that. Nice. Thank you. You're always asking interesting questions. What's your favorite question you've asked to date? I think like my go-to is typically what's the most controversial opinion you hold among your peer group or friends or, you know, depending on who I'm talking to. Mm. That's a solid, you know, it's like the staple, like the rice of the meal. All right. So now we have to ask, what is your most controversial opinion? Uh, so, you know, the controversial opinions that I say out loud, the most controversial ones I, I don't because I'm scared of getting canceled. <laughs> so I think I might I might be too chicken to answer this one. Wow. Yeah, I know. I can try and think of like a more palatable way. I'll, I'll process it. But while I'm doing that, do you guys have, what's your most controversial opinion? I mean, I could have a couple, I feel like. Like, I think I've definitely said on the show where, I mean, I'm definitely pro-abortion up until, you know, right before the baby <laughs> pops out. But not only that, but like up until they're like 27. I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's reasonable. That's like around the time when thoughts start forming. I can't tell if I either don't have crazy opinions or alternately I am so wrapped in cowardice that I can't even facilitate them in my own mind. I feel like when I talk to people normally though, because I see, I sound crazy at first because I'll say something and then they're like, what? How the fuck did you come up with that? And I'm like, well, this is this is how I got here. I don't know. Is this, just this? And then they're like, no, that, hmm, I don't agree with you, but that does sound sane. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can occupy that. <laughs> and then for the record, I also believe all the very controversial things that Ayla believes, but I am also afraid to say them out loud. But Ayla, we're right about that thing. That's 
a very dangerous thing to say. That could be used to apply to a lot of stuff. I know, but I want to be very clear. I'm fine with all of the ethnic people involved in that thing. So <laughs> I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm not on that side of the thing. <laughs> so this is definitely the show that will be used against us uh, if any of us ever run for public office. But if we have enough crypto, we could just flee the country, which is my only question. <laughs> so we're going to John McAfee it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I interviewed him. If you, I could get you his contact info, Alice, if you want to talk to him. I have had a handful of um, introductions to him. I probably should eventually have him on the show just for his opinions on whale fucking. Uh-huh. He has opinions on whale fucking. Okay, so do you know John McAfee by chance, Ayla? I follow him on Twitter. And- Having spent half an hour talking to him, it's like, imagine speaking to someone who only speaks as though they are on a giant billboard in an underwater dome in which James Bond has been captured. Like, it's all, like, he he speaks like a techno villain. Like, like uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, McAfee, like, like, you know, so what part of the world are you in? When you free your mind <laughs> from the shackles of society. Like, it's just very, and like, and I threw him off because, because he keeps saying crazy stuff. And then I'd go like, you know, dot, dot, dot. And how do you feel about tariffs? And like, and eventually it just weirded him out that I wasn't weirded out. It was fun. <laughs> it feels like a game of chicken where you're like, I'm just going to like stare you straight yeah. in the eye and just keep steadily driving towards your face. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's somebody told me the other day that like when life gives you lemons, grab a lemon, take a big old bite out of that lemon and make hard eye contact and then say, what the fuck now life? <laughs> and I think that that is a great way to conduct both interviews and everything. I'm definitely blanking on the chemical, but there is a tablet in which you can purchase where if you wanted to take a bite out of a lemon, Mm -hmm. you absolutely could. And I've done this before. Um, Magical fruit berries, which sounds way cornier, but there's, there's some specific element in it, but they're great. Magical fruit berries are amazing. I've tried a few things. Have you tried them before? I've not tried them. Can I make a sales pitch? Yeah, please do. Ayla, if you're like most Americans, you want to try drugs, but you're Mormon. And so you can't. Well, good news. There are these things called magical fruit berries. They're, you get them off Amazon. They're like FDA approved. They're not psychotropic. They're not like magical mushrooms or anything like that. It's a chemical that comes from a, I think it's an acai berry out of Africa. You, you leave it on your tongue for a few minutes. It stuns all of the bitter and sour receptors in your tongue temporarily, 15, 20 minutes. During that time, you can eat lemon wedges. You can eat oranges, whatever you want. You only taste the sugar. So Ass. they're incredibly, incredibly sweet. Ass would be interesting. I don't... I I, you know what? It would it would there would be a whole new bouquet that you would experience during that time. And uh, yeah, go for it. Cool. I really could have used that when I was escorting. Me too. I really now want to know what does it taste to eat someone out because there is a taste associated with you know bodily fluids. How does that taste when you have a miracle berry in your mouth? There's only mm. one way to find out. All right. So clearly, science. When we do the follow up on this. <laughs> We'll all bring magical fruit berries and just give it a shot. And for for science. How long were you escorting for, by the way? Year and a half. Oh, cool. Yeah. Any interesting stories out of it? It was mostly pretty fine because I was pretty high end. And so a lot of the people were very polite and uh, generally pretty nice. How does one get into high end? I mean, obviously there's... It seems like the way I've always seen things advertised was like Craigslist back in the day. But I've always been curious, like, how do you contact a high-end agency? How do you know which one is good? There's no how-to guides on WikiHow for this. 
There are on Reddit, however. What? Uh, is, right now, there's like basically no agencies anymore. At least, I mean, there are some, but most high-end escorts are completely independent. And you can just find directories where they put listings of themselves and scroll through, filter by the kind of body type you like, and, you know, pick and go for it. It's pretty easy. So real quick, I'm basically like, imagine somebody shook a Norman Rockwell painting and a bearded man fell out and just started wandering <laughs> towards a horizon. With escort agencies... When anybody hires an escort, do both parties think they're going to have sex or do like some escorts really just hang out and they go to dinner? Because I would be terrified that I'd be like, I am going to hire an escort. We are going to have sex. And then I'd be like, why don't you come up to my hotel room? And she'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm only having to like, I like I, and it would be the awkwardness that would bother me in all of this. So is that, does that happen? Do I need to worry about this? It probably happens like as mu- about as much as getting hit by lightning. So if you don't like okay. typically try and hide when thunderstorms come, you could probably go see a girl and just expect to have sex with her. Gotcha. Okay, great. So it's it's just, it's everybody's on the same page. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're going through like the right channels, like if you're on like the escort listings thing, like that everybody knows what that is. It's possible if you go on like a Facebook group and somebody says, I'll meet up with you, like then you may be not so sure. Excellent. And I'm glad that you clarified that. That's actually, that's the level of handling I need of uh, don't, don't go on Facebook to like the friends buddy group, go to uh, whatever the successor to back page is. Yeah. And like that'll, that'll have the info. If anybody wants to look it up, trist.link, T-R-Y-S-T dot link is right now the best directory to look for escorts. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I wonder where it's hosted. Me just too. because of laws and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to check that out after this show. But it seems like because you, you know, you've done so much different types of work, you got into cryptocurrency, it seems like, early on. I feel late to the game. I feel like, okay, I heard about this years ago. I got in. I got out because I didn't understand it. And I'm the type of person where if I don't understand it, I don't want to see it. (laughs) But now I can't avoid it. And porn has always been at the forefront of a number of emerging technologies. So where should we start? The internet. Good example. VCRs, DVDs. Mm -hmm. So how did you get your start into crypto? Like, what do you remember, like, your first time getting paid in coins and then wondering, what the hell do I do with this? (laughs) I got into it in 2013. I think February 2013 was when I bought my first Bitcoin, but it was $20. And it was a friend who had been, like, bugging me to get into this Bitcoin thing. I didn't really understand it, but I knew that it was like a like a fuck the government thing. And I could get behind that. I was like, I want money that's independent, that, you know, can't be controlled. And everybody told me that it was good, like a scam, you know, it wasn't going to go anywhere. But I was like, okay, I don't even care if it's a scam. Like I'm willing to lose my money to something that I believe in so strongly. Um, and I ended up selling it $300, which felt really good at the time. Uh, not so much anymore. Was I got to say, that is a, still a very good profit margin if you bought it for 20. I mean, that's still a very good investment. Yeah, it, it was. Um, and and I was like the first time I'd invested in anything. I was really young and I had zero financial training whatsoever. I didn't own any stocks. Uh, so I really had like no sense of how to gauge something like that. So relatively speaking, it was pretty good. Um, and then I was always like in and out of crypto for years around that point. Like early on, there was the like somebody's trying to build a crypto based cam site, like really a long time ago. And I, I was, you know, going to work with them and maybe do that for a while. It never ended up happening, but I accepted tips 
in crypto for a very long time, although not a lot of people tip me in crypto. The best investment I have ever made in terms of uh, proportion, like rates, is when I was in New York, I was making lots of sketch comedy videos and I, I would hire my friends, but they would do it at a discount, which was very kind of them. So I bought a stack of Zimbabwe billion dollar bills that I could give everybody <laughs> and they became collector's items. So weirdly, the most debased <laughs> currency that you can get is now the best investment I've ever made just in terms of the money I paid to, to versus how much it's worth. So that's where my level of investment expertise is at. I mean, it's pretty good. How much did it go up? Okay, so I bought them I mean, several years ago now, but I, but I bought like let's let's say I bought twenty trillion dollars of Zimbabwe currency, which is to say I, I bought like thirty notes, I think, because there, there were like five hundred billion notes and there were trillion dollar notes in Zimbabwe currency. And in U.S., this is about twenty dollars. I, yeah, I think I've, I've, I spent like $18 plus $6 in shipping and handling for 30 of these. And then they they like became like a fun internet thing, and they all became worth like, I don't know, $20. <laughs> and so it would have been 20 times. I'm not good at math. But it, but it, it, anyway, I look at that. I was like, it's still doing better than my Vanguard account, which is not that much. Uh, which like that, it's like, you know, like 7% or something as opposed to the very high rate I had with the Zimbabwe currency. Impressive. Nice. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that you don't get paid often in crypto nowadays. I mean, there's even when I was looking into the stats on this, I think when I was looking into the stats of how many people pay for something like Pornhub with crypto, it's about hovering around the 1% mark. Because generally what you have to do is, I mean, it's really non intuitive for people who are trying to buy maybe like an altcoin to pay with crypto on most places, which is like, okay, we got to buy first, like something like a Bitcoin and, you know, with my fiat currency and then convert that into this altcoin. Or I don't know, a lot of people just don't see the value in, hey, why would I change my money to this other thing so I could pay people, which is still money. So I'm not totally surprised, although because of the whole Nicholas Kristof New York Times debacle at the end of 2020, beginning of this year, uh, now Pornhub, the only way you could get Pornhub premium is through cryptocurrency. Wow. That's, I mean, it's great for crypto. Correct. What happened with Nicholas Kristof? Did he get caught? Tubing or something to Pornhub? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Ayla, do you want to take this one or shall I? I actually am not super familiar. He, you want to go for it? Yeah. He essentially wrote an article for the New York Times. It essentially put Pornhub, a, really the parent company MindGeek, on blast for saying, hey, you guys are hosting all this revenge porn and child pornography and stuff like that. Why are payment processors still working with you? Essentially, he worked with the end conclusion in mind and worked with a bunch of uh, religious morality, you know, they cloak themselves as anti-sex trafficking orgs, but these are the same organizations like uh, Neosi that are saying that, yeah, Pornhub is as bad as Sports Illustrated. It's such a shame because, like, Pornhub is, relatively speaking, like, probably the best one for actors. Like, they're the most responsive. They give you money easily. They take down things if you want them to. Uh, like, they're aggressive at taking things down. So, like, I feel like the things that must have slipped through the cracks are, like, genuinely slipping through the cracks. Like, I, my videos are up, and I have no control over them on a whole bunch of other websites. And I feel like it's such a shame that Pornhub, out of all of the ones, I feel like I got the best treatment from that. Like, they cared the most about me as a performer. And those are the ones that got shafted. It feels really unfair. Like, I wish it had been some other site. Yeah, what's crazy is also... um 
they don't target the other mainstream platforms. They say, yeah, we need to shut Pornhub down. And, you know, Pornhub actually came out even with its first transparency report where they said, yeah, last year we took down over 13,000 potential uh, CSAM violations last year. So basically, potentially like child porn and revenge porn and stuff like that. But if you compare that to Facebook... I know in 2018, Facebook, especially Facebook Messenger, was responsible for, I want to say, 18.4 million reports of CSAM. So they don't go after Facebook for the same standards that they're holding Pornhub to just because it's kind of a morality thing. Mm -hmm. Alice, it almost sounds like a bunch of stodgy prudes are finding a way to circumnavigate being stodgy prudes and then just sort of be stodgy prudes through that thing. Mm Okay. Okay. And I mean, a lot of people also just, I I feel like they don't realize all the work that goes into taking down all this type of video content. Ayla, did you get a chance to see their transparency report they just came out with? No, I didn't. So essentially I found, because I was always wondering, oh, what are they using to uh, review and verify these videos before they're posted? Because there is a lag between when you upload and when you get approval. So uh, what was cool is they're running it through everything from YouTube's proprietary technology, Microsoft's technology, Google's uh, APIs, MediaWise, Safeguard. So they're running it through like several different filters before it actually gets posted. The one change, the one change that I will say that I liked out of this whole debacle was where you now have to be a verified performer in order to upload content. Yeah, I do like that. I'll swing on a policy end real quick. I don't think you should form policy based on what makes you feel icky. I think that that is a very fickle and very arbitrary way to try and dictate law or come after people for economic transition. I know nothing about the porn industry. I know nothing about trafficking. There's probably lots of stuff that I don't know anything about whatsoever. So if I were to just try to take a swing at things that I know are publicly available, I would be swinging in a weird way and potentially harmful. So if there's any senators listening right now, that is my advice to you. Just Lindsey Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really such a shame. It's it's such a shame because like I feel like often the girls themselves contribute to it. Like I saw a lot of other sex workers, you know, fighting for Pornhub to be taken down. And I'm like, do you not understand, you know, like the whole context, like what they go through, like the comparison, because it's so easy to fall prey to like hype about like one specific thing, like this is bad. And it's like, well, you can manufacture that sort of feeling about literally anything if you just like pick the right facts and ignore other ones. It's really frustrating. Because it, it's like it's two things, right? It's like it's both your your if you're the actor, it's your presence on camera and and how you want to be shown to the public and and something that is somewhat intimate. And then there's the IP side of it, right? So I assume if you're going through a company that the company owns the IP in the same way that if you're doing a commercial, they own the IP. And if you if you wanted the commercial yanked, you couldn't pull it down. Is it different if it's porn? Like, do they have a clause for the actors that they can pull stuff and you work it out with a company, or does whoever owned the IP have the cards? You might know better than me because I don't do professional porn, Alice. Well, neither do I. I just, I I am really into IP, though. Uh, (laughs) So, Andrew, to answer your question, actors who are on set, you're signing away your rights to the studio. So you're not getting any licenses or royalties. So, you know, if Mm. the studio you work with publishes work, it's up there. There actually is legislation, though, that has been proposed. I think Holly was the one who proposed it. I could be wrong. Um, where they were saying, hey, yeah, you should get consent from every performer in every scene. But, like, 
you could have a clip and or an advertisement that has multiple performers and is reused. So it's just, it's such a debacle to get, you know, just multiple signatures. Um, mm. I'm sorry, I'm trying to go back. We'll get to crypto in a second, but I guess we were talking about uploading video content. No, I was I was just curious if, if the actors that are on, on Pornhub or other things, if, if there are potential clauses for them, if they want to have it yanked. Like, because I, I would like as a voice actor and thing like that. I don't have that ability. Like, I, like I, uh, I was a voice actor on a bus company where I was the voice for a, a bus that was driving around DC like a tour bus. I didn't have any major problems with it. They ended up closing the thing down because um, some guys stood up on the double decker when they were going under a bridge and got decapitated. So the whole thing went under. But had stuff like that happen regularly, and I'd been like, I don't want my voice associated with. Uh, with this decapitating bus company, I would have had no recourse to that because I'd signed a contract and they had full use of that recording file of me talking about how many stairs are in the IRS building or whatever asinine thing it was. I mean, that's really the biggest problem with these tube sites. They're just, I mean, most of them are uploading stolen clips anyway. When I upload porn to OnlyFans, I have to send them a consent from the other people involved. And the consent typically is like, I've signed the rights to my image to be used or something like I consent that this is a thing. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of like legal clause in the forms that I have them sign. I think it's like 2257 and whatever else it is for them to have like rights over this in the future. I'd be curious what happens once you upload content to Pornhub who where some of those rights float because obviously it should be where you still retain the rights to the video whether you own it or you don't. But as I've learned working in IP temporarily, that's not always the case. So um, like fun fact with Amazon, if you upload an image or video to Amazon, you are waiving your rights to ownership of that content mm. Because according to Amazon, it's fair use for everyone else in the marketplace to utilize those same images, which makes absolutely no sense. I've never seen that before. Is it the image itself, like the .jpg, or is it the logo? Like if you upload your logo, do they own your logo, or do they just own the – they can use the JPEG you've uploaded, and that uploaded JPEG is now theirs? You could use the JPEG, yeah. Got it, Okay. It makes absolutely no sense because on most sites out there, if you see someone who's utilizing your like merchandise imagery, you can file a copyright complaint and say, this is mine. It relates to my product. This is clearly counterfeit and they're just using my images. Take it down. Most places will be okay with that. Amazon is like, yeah, no. Just don't get it. Uh, but going back to actually, well, I guess, and this is a segue to purchasing stuff, NFTs. Ayla, you've sold some NFTs. Uh, let's start with what are they? Uh, that's a great question that I'm not totally sure. Um, <gasps> NFTs are non-fungible tokens, which means like non-switchable. Uh, like with money, it doesn't matter if you have like a dollar or a different dollar. They're kind of interchangeable. But with NFTs, they're specifically non-interchangeable tokens. And so they're mapped onto like an image or something. And then if you own it, you can people could see that the NFT is in your wallet and that you retain ownership over this digital property. So it's basically like digital art that you get to stake your claim in. I think the best comparison I've seen is like, Andrew, if I have a dollar and you have a dollar and we switch dollars, that's essentially, you know, fungible. But an NFT right. is like, if I have a birth certificate and you have a baseball card that's signed, those are two very different things that we can't like easily trade. We're, we're like, usually when, when you hear uh, fungible in prior context, you usually hear it in terms of fluids like oil. 
uh, oil is a fungible resource, right? So if we if we have X amount, like whenever we talk about supply chains with oil, like like fungible, re- but if it's a body fluid, it would be specific. So it's not interchangeable, right? Correct. I'm trying to imagine like a situation where you interchange body. Fluid. I guess the, the, no, just it, it, it being fungible. Fungible stuff is stuff that you can switch around in any capacity, in any quality or quantity, and it doesn't matter. It's just the the amount that you're talking about, right? So mm-hmm. like if if we were applying like if you were looking at like funding, like funding is fungible, where you're like, well, where did my five dollars go within the corporations? Like who did the janitor get my five dollars? Did the CEO get the five dollars? It's like ah, eh, no one. Like it's not your your money just entered a big pot. And it became one big thing. There's no specificity to what you were doing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, explain to me why this makes sense. Because so far, I've looked at it, and to me, it rears the same amount of value as, remember those, like, buy a star companies? Oh, yeah. Where you weren't really buying a star, but you were attributing, like, value to a star and data to a star. It made no sense. Everybody could still see the star, but you kind of owned it. You know, you could say you owned it. Yeah. That's what an NFT to me is. I mean, those companies made money, the own a star companies, and so are NFTs. Uh, You've sold some NFTs. So walk us through what it's like to sell one. And I mean, are there any companies that are pushing back against porn selling NFTs? Because this seems like a natural progression of like, I have a butthole, you would like to own rights to that butthole. Here we go. Yeah, Uh, yeah, there are actually. Um, So as far as I know, I haven't checked like in recent weeks, this is such a new thing. So it's still anything could have popped up in the last few days. But as far as I know, there's no porn specific NFT platform, although they're trying to be made. And a lot of the primary platforms in their terms of service prohibit pornographic or obscene content. Uh, so, so far, the, the line seems to be they will allow nudity, but not pornographic or obscene content. I talked to the guy who runs OpenSea, and I'm probably going to misquote horribly, so don't like go after him for anything that I say incorrectly. But I got the impression that it's like a legal liability thing. Like they don't, like once their servers are like hosting the ability for people to find pornography, they have to like comply with laws around age verification and stuff. And so this is a whole nother thing that they have to, so right now they're just not allowing that to exist. Uh, So the only thing I've sold are nudes, which basically it's pretty easy. You open the website, make an account, you connect your wallet, like MetaMask, you upload an image or GIF, and then you fill out some forms like the title and the price or whatever, and then you you list it, and that's it. So if I bought one of your nudes, I, I would own it, and I would own the rights to it. Yeah. Would other people be able to see it? Like, would it still be publicly available, but it's just like Heaton owns them? Or is it a thing where I get the file and it's mine now, and I can distribute it if I want, or I can make copies of it if I want? Is it just the flex and the blagging rights of owning the star, or can everybody see it? Uh, both. So it's part of what the value that these websites are offering is like the ability to display what you own, because like it's ultimately just you know on the blockchain, and you can't you need like a, some sort of layer over it to be able to see it. It's also like more analogous to like say a piece of art. Like if you bought the Mona Lisa, you could make copies of it, but that would probably be less valuable. Like people would be like, "What's the original one?" And so you can tell on, on the blockchain, you can tell you can see that I made. It's verified according to my Twitter, this account. So people can go and see that I made this digital thing. And when they own it, everybody can see the fact that it came from me. And if like they made other copies and tried to sell them, people could tell this is not the original. This did not come from Ayla. And so it would hypothetically be less valuable in that case. 
It would seem to me that that would also like kind of factor into copyright and stuff. If I'm the owner of this file and I start seeing things that are floating around that are duplicates and I'm like, I know I own this. It's built into the digital image itself or it's built into the, the blockchain. Like you do not have my permission to make these things or, or to, to whatever. Then it like, as opposed to now where I guess you call Getty image. I don't know how it works right now. If you see a file that you have to track down the person and go, I think somebody stole your file. Well, it's out of your hands. As far as I understand the um, actual connection of the image to the NFT. So like the, I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I'm like making people turn around in their graves, but you buy basically like an address is the NFT and the address points to some image hosting thing, which I don't fully understand. And so you basically you own the rights to a pointer that points to this address. Uh, and that's like kind of how it works. And you can't undo that. You can't take it down. If you have this pointer, you can't make it go away. Like the worst that you can do is make it delisted from those websites. But anybody can still use like a blockchain explorer to still see the fact that you own it. So even if like people make copyrights that are floating around, like these pointers to images that you don't like that are, are yours, I don't think anybody really has the power to remove that. This is the point. Like, the point is that it's not centralized. We don't have a mid thing that can go in and like rescue you from people doing shitty things. But those things would be less valuable because everybody can see these are frauds. I am intrigued but flabbergasted. I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I feel like when smartphones came out, there were people that like, I don't get it. Why would you want one? Like, I can tell that something's happening here, but I don't fully grasp it yet. It's decentralized. And I like, I understand that when it applies to currency. And I totally get why that makes sense, because you don't want governments to inflate away the value of currency. You don't want banks to be able to seize it and so forth, that it's freeing the information. It's free. It, it's it, that all makes sense to me when it comes to NFTs. And it's something that's publicly viewable and publicly available. Does anyone exercise control? Like, is it just a symbolic right, I guess? Or does it does it have an active thing that you're able to do outside of the symbolic ownership? You have control of the wallet that it's in. So you have the ability to transfer it to other people. Besides that, it's like mostly it, I think. Okay. It seems to me, based on my understanding, that it's more or less a little bit of a symbolic ownership. It's very much... You don't buy NFTs because it's rational. You buy it because it's an emotional transaction. It's because you want to have the claim and ownership of, yeah, I know everybody can see this and millions upon billions of people have viewed this image, like Nyan Cats, but you want to kind of lay claim to having that inscription, that digital ownership, which makes no sense to me because I buy zero collectibles because I don't understand why, you know, you would take space up and collect dust on stuff. But I guess this is a way to buy a digital collectible. So there's that. Digital collectibles have precedent. This is I true. I mean, there's lots, there's a huge market for them in like video games, for example. Good point. I think what I like most about NFTs and what part does make sense to me is the fact that they benefit digital artists. Generally, from what I'm aware of, artists don't directly benefit when works are sold and they grow in value over their lifetimes, or as in, in an NFT, they can. Can I jump in? Ayla, I'm glad that you brought up games. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually, where NFTs would make sense. So, like, I don't tend to play World of Warcraft or anything like that, but I know that World of Warcraft has its own real-world economy associated with it where people will 
pay fiat currency, maybe crypto now, in order to get like, I'm going to get a weapon that I now have that I can get from your character's account that my character's account has. And I'm thinking you could take NFTs and you could make them kind of at a macro level of like any game on Steam, which is a really big gaming platform. NFTs can now, like if, if it works in one game, it's the same type of weapon, it can go into another game or something like that. There might be a way to kind of make objects portable between games. The other thing I could see happening here in a few years, we've had a really big boost in VR technology this last year through COVID pandemic. I think that the next thing after that's going to be augmented reality, which we're playing around with right now, but it's not quite there. We we put our toes in it with Google Glass and everybody thought it looked dorky and it went away. But I think that that's coming, right? So there'll come a point in our lives where when you go to a hotel, there's just going to be blank canvases on the wall because you are going to have your own Google Glass equivalent on when you're in there, and you're going to have your own artwork that's on there wherever you go. So if you go to the Hilton in, in California or you go to the Marriott and wherever, you're just going to have your own art that follows you. NFTs to me would be a natural extension of that so that if I wanted to have the nude NFT of Ayla, I would have that and, and I could do it. Or maybe like, I don't know, maybe I've got a giant one floating above my house. Uh, when I've got my glasses on or something like that. So I, I could see like, that's where I, I kind of start seeing it more functional. Whereas right now it strikes me as more symbolic. I mean, it's basically just like the fine art, whatever, you know, like I can buy a poster of incredibly valuable things for like nothing and put it on my wall. But like the point is not, you know, do I just look at the image? Like the point is the symbolism surrounding the image, the story, the narrative, like what it means, how like impressed people are going to be when they enter your house and like you tell them about it. And so, like, that's what people are buying. People aren't buying the thing. People are buying, like, a status from other people. But then doesn't it mean that the most NFTs that are going to be valuable are going to be the ones that are generally associated with a popular figure, like yep. Kobe Bryant or Taylor Swift um, yep. or Elon Musk, which is sad because, you know, I, I could have a really good tweet and no one's going to want to buy it. I don't want to buy it. I'm shocked if someone does. Please buy my NFT tweets. All of them are for sale. Alice, I will buy. Can I give you $5 for one of your tweets? May I pick one? You may have any. <laughs> nice. Okay, I'm going to do this. Including my pinned. It's five bucks. It's yours. I understand the the art reference. That makes sense to me. And I think the Mona Lisa is a great example of that, of like we could make a, at this point, really good approximation of the Mona Lisa that you could hang in your house that's not the Mona Lisa, but looks indistinguishable from the Mona Lisa. And so you're saying... No, I have the original Mona Lisa, and the hands that made it were Leonardo da Vinci, and and so there's so I I get that. With the digital though, the the part that I get hung up on is that with the Mona Lisa though, somebody did physically make it, and you're you're interacting with the the molecules that were painted by da Vinci. With this though, it almost strikes me more as like a song. I own this MP3 and I own the rights to it, but somebody could have like a, a duplicated MP3. This is it. It's harder for me to get emotionally attached to incorporeal data. Does any of this make sense? I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to come kicking and screaming into the 21st century with everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes total sense. Like, we don't really have priors for or like prior experience with like going online and seeing an image and like having a story associated with it. Or like, oh, like somebody copy pasted. I'll copy paste it a billion times if I want. Like, I'll tile my desktop with it. Whereas when we see a painting. Like, it's very clear, like, oh, who did that? And even if it's a copy, it's like, oh, well, somebody, like, copied that, and there's, like, meaning, there's a story behind it. So I don't think we have, like, the same sort of background to make sort of digital space quite as meaningful. But again, it does have still a lot of power in like, gaming communities, like, even Neopets or something, where, like, you have to get, like, the fairy brush. And those are still fungible to some degree, but, like, they're much more unique. And, like, people would fight all the time to, like, get this thing so they could show it off. Uh, so I think it's, like, much more analogous to like a gaming 
thing than it is a, an art thing. Although it has a lot in common with mm. the art thing okay. too. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Is Neopets still a thing? Because I haven't played it since 2003. <laughs> it still exists, but it's bad. Oh. Yeah. I hope my Tamagotchi's doing okay because I have not checked on that fella. <laughs> In a few years now, but I left a bowl of water out, so he's probably all right. The the gaming one makes sense to me. That seems to me to be a really apt analogy of I've got this NFT of an axe that I can bring into World of Warcraft, but also I can take it into this other relevant game. And so it's got kind of like a I've got like a bag of programs, objects of digital objects that I can take between different fields of existence within the internet. That makes sense. And we also previously never had a way to collect digital art. You know, this is the first time we've been able to do that, which is through NFTs. Uh, we have those systems for, you know, paintings and sculptures, which I was also real thinking to myself that the art world to me just seems like the best way to launder money because it's art. It's, oh, what is this worth? I don't know. Who knows? It's valuable to you. I'll have my buddy claim it's worth $300,000, and once I get that in writing, I will donate it to charity, and then I get $300,000 in tax write-offs. Yes! I remember reading thing hard that, like, that's actually not a loophole. Like, they closed that loophole a long time ago. Oh, do they? Probably so. Yeah. I would hope so. It's been a while. Like, it's a, it's a glary one. Hold on, wait. I had a really good idea. Ayla, with the games, I assume that the, the digitals are getting better. So, like, if you could make NFT lockets of yourself— and then sell the lockets to characters, I think that you could make some serious bank right there. <laughs> People are doing that IRL. People are making uh, necklaces with a little screen that displays the NFT that you own now. So it's like, oh, what? cool. Okay, see that? All right, this is making sense to me now. All right. Yeah. Where does one get that? Etsy? I don't know. <laughs> Um, it's also possible to have unlockable NFTs. I haven't tried this yet, but you can do a thing where you sell the thing, and then once the person buys it, they can see like a message embedded in it, which can be like a link or a password to like a website where you can go unlock something. Uh, so that's another value possibility. Okay, that I prefer better because then there's an Easter egg associated yeah, with the NFT. That's true. It's like, so you sell a nude and then there's a link associated and hidden within, embedded in that nude where people then, I don't know, see the equivalent of a goatsy. Not <laughs> saying that you do that. Surprise. And a lot of this stuff is fueled by speculation too. Like as much all crypto, you know, like crypto gets very hype in, in a lot of other ways. And this is just another one where people are like, okay, well, Ayla might, like if NFTs become a much bigger thing, like mainstream in 20 years, like this thing that as NFT I bought of Ayla's boobs is going to be worth so much more because it's like an old original. Uh, so people are doing mm -hmm. it like not just because they want the status of it, but because they anticipate it's going to rise in value. But we all thought the same of crypto kitties. That is true. We did. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Plus, let, let's assume that NFTs, assuming that they become a thing and that 20 years from now, everybody knows what NFTs are and everybody has NFTs. I would assume that the really early NFTs are going to have more emotional value to them and they're going to be like the original artifacts. You know, you're getting the weird digital equivalent of like broken pottery from when writing was invented or something like that, except there's nipples. So it's better. Yeah. I mean, most NFTs aren't even photos. So, like, almost all of them are digital, like, draw, like, paint or something, like, photoshops of generated images. Every time I, I check and um, type an NFT into even Twitter, I'm like, this looks like it was made on, like, Microsoft Paint. Yeah. <laughs> Immediate follow-up question to this. So, we've been talking about NFTs as a concept. Is it just a transferable 
object or does it like when you made the nudes, did you make them as JPEGs and then you had to convert them to an NFT? Is there like an NFT file type or is, is the NFT just referring to the phenomenon, but the, the image itself is like a standard PNG or JPEG or something like that? So I'm not sure how it's hosted. So I think, I think what happens is that um, I, you upload the whatever JPEG to the website and then you like create the thing and it does it for you. And it takes that and it, puts it on like whatever file hosting nonsense is going on. So I assume it's like the format is probably just JPEG or something. Okay. So yeah, I'm still going to go back to this is the bias star situation. AKA this is the beanie babies of 2021. So I mean, look, everybody got really into what are those collectibles that are in like every game store nowadays? Those little heads. Oh, things. the bobbleheads. Yeah. Yeah. Those little, not, they're not bobbleheads, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on them. My friend Nick has like a whole, like, he has 40 of those that are basically a load-bearing wall <laughs> in his apartment. He's got so many of those things. I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, they're kind of these like cartoony-looking, big-headed, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Cool. So we're now getting digital bobbleheads. I think this was the next step in the evolution of art, crypto, and being able to spend money on stuff that people want to spend money on. You know, what's also interesting is I was looking into, for some reason, just different art rules, and apparently the art and antiquities trade is getting kind of regulated even more so as of this January, which is really interesting because if you look to the rise of NFTs and their popularity, it just so happens to be after additional regulation in real world art and memorabilia. So I'm I'm curious if there's any overlap in, hey, I wonder why this is happening. I have to say, I would be surprised if the people buying NFTs were previously collectors of ancient antiques. It's probably not going to happen because the collectors of NFTs generally skew younger. Man, my basement's full of ancient <laughs> antiques. I don't have any more basement space, but I still want to get cool shit. What do I do? I know, a laptop. <laughs> I feel like any NFT we talk about could be the most ridiculous NFT that we're going to talk about, like, you know, Jack's first tweet or Nyan Cat or I don't know, like Goatsy, as I mentioned previously. That could be an NFT. It probably is. Eventually, Goatsy will be the base cryptocurrency <laughs> of the future. That will be that will be the equivalent of Fort Knox is the one person who owns Goatsy. And predominantly NFTs you purchased via Ethereum. I believe so. Maybe it's a wrapped token, I think. But yeah. I have no idea what a wrapped token is. I am not, also not the ideal person for this, but um, a lot of, I think, so there's like Ethereum is like the thing on which things are built. Uh, but I believe you can have wrapped Ethereum, which basically like converts it into a, like a subset. So you have like a set and then you have like the sets on top of it. And it like, it uses a, another token that's a symbol of like the, the main Ethereum blockchain so that you can like interact with it as though it's a token, but still have it be worth like base Ethereum. I could be totally wrong on this. I'm sorry if somebody's listening and is really upset. Again, it's only John McAfee who's listening. <laughs> okay. He's enraged. <laughs> Ayla, where do you see these going? Like, what do you think they'll look like in 10, 15 years? I don't know. I, that's a really, really hard question. I think that they're probably overhyped right now, but I could see this being like a long-term steady thing. 
I my guess would be they would drop a bit in popularity and sort of like how crypto went in general. Like crypto had like this big boom in 2017 and then like everybody like kind of lost track of it because it was no longer interesting. And then very slowly people were like building on crypto and now we're seeing a second boom because it's like actually we're finding out how it is to be used. If I had to make a prediction, I would say that NFTs are doing something similar. I mean, I guess we saw the crypto kitties boom, but I think that was like hyper early. I would say probably is we're going to see a big drop. And then as people actually build out the technology needed to make it really interesting. Currently, the average going price for an NFT as of April 5th for one of these digital certificates is $1,256. That doesn't seem right. Well, oh, there is a thing where uh, the tax laws around crypto are shit. Anytime you make a crypto transaction, that's a taxable event as though you sell uh, like for capital gains. And so you have to track everything you do. So this sort of like puts a damper on people making smaller trades. Um, and a lot of uh, the NFT platforms have like high gas fees right now. So you have to kind of pay fees in order to make transactions. So that probably bumps up the average price. So wait a minute, what are the current tax laws around crypto? Because I have not reviewed them. Um, if you are my account, please turn this off right now. It's bad. It's really bad. It's you can't use it as a currency. Uh, anytime you take a Bitcoin and you like want to buy a pizza with it, that's a taxable event. You have to record that transaction and report it to the IRS as a sale of like a stock, basically. And you don't get the other way around. If you have like a bunch of you know Ethereum and it goes up to three hundred thousand dollars, and then you switch it over to Bitcoin, and then it drops back to a dollar, you have to make a, a to pay taxes on the sale of that $300,000 as though you still have it and you can't record it as a loss. So a lot of people are getting really screwed by this when they're make, making transactions between crypto back when the prices were high and then it drops and then they're like, well, fuck me. I don't have money to pay for this anymore. Oh no. That's all kinds of bullshit. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much on the side of the crypto people here. Plus like, God, fucking central banks. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to hold back so bad right now. But we're like, not asking like, like, you to, Andrew. Great, thank you. So, okay. Inflation is just taxation without legislation. It's the government saying, we want to pay for shit, but we lack the willpower, we lack the backbone, the, the testicles to actually just go fucking pay us money for this tank we want to build. So we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we make everybody's money worth less. We'll buy it on debt. We'll make everybody's money piss at horrible. And, and it just, you, you erode everybody's value. And like right now, I don't like, the, the federal government's currently saying that like, yeah, the inflation rate's about like 1.7%. And I looked through the commodities early today. Day. And it was it was like maybe like three percent or something. The commodities are like copper's up thirty five percent, cotton's up forty five percent. Like you add up all the stuff, it doesn't work. I think it's bullshit. I think the value of the dollar is plunging, and nobody wants to. Uh, nobody in power wants to say that because the banks need us to buy that bullshit to prop up their system, and the government needs to do it so they can spend money they don't have. And whenever the people, you and I, start buying stuff to get out of that system, they try and fuck us over because they want to force us to be stuck in it. And then if you invent technology to like work around, they regulate it. So you aren't allowed to exactly. use it without going to jail. Yep. Uh, that's the problem with getting around fiat currency. You know, Bitcoin, it seemed so promising until now this additional regulation where, as you mentioned, you have to pay taxes on every single transaction. It doesn't make it seem usable for its original intent. So, I mean, what does this apply to all cryptocurrency or specifically only the major coins? All crypto. God damn it. Every single one, including tokens, including NFTs, including anything that like is not like kind. At the moment, I think, I mean, crypto is basically, as I understand it, basically a hedge against inflation. And that's the great value that it has is that the the government can't directly fuck with it, neither can banks. And so if, if you are like 
Right now, we're spending a ton of money, as are all of the world governments. We're not corresponding that with an increase in goods or in taxes. So very likely, we're going to have a massive inflationary bubble here in the next couple of years, like the 70s, where just like everything will be worth 20% of what it was, and it'll cost like $60 for a tank of gas. So like we're, as we're cruising to that, if you park your money in crypto, that's not going to be affected by it. The part that scares me, though, is like I, I got into crypto in 20. 18, I think. Whenever I got in, whenever the peak was, like the dumbest time you could get into crypto is when I definitely got into crypto. Like I got in that day. And then they were like, fuck it, we're going home. And it all went under. <laughs> uh, but I used a website called Binance uh, because you could buy altcoins on that. And um, the other day, Binance has since been forbidden to American citizens. I can't use it as an American citizen. Wait a minute. You can't use it anymore because I use Binance. There's Binance and, and Binance.us. I use so Binance.us. You're okay then. Binance.us is a, I don't know how you phrase this. It's like a separate allied corporation or whatever. But if you were on Binance.com, the original one, that one was forbidden by the SEC or some other regulatory agency. So you can no longer get it anymore. So what they did is they basically said, if, if you're on it, you can transfer your assets out. Otherwise they might just, I don't know. Anyway, my point is there was this one particular coin that I had on there. Like I still own it, but it's been deplatformed from all of the major exchanges, including uh, Binance.us. So it's it's risen in value, but weirdly, I can't do anything with it. And so I like I could see something like that happen with uh, Bitcoin because I could see Uncle Sam go, oh shit, the peasants caught on to the whole inflation scheme. Fuck, well, we still want their money. Just ban that stuff. And it would, you, you'd still be able to get around it, but I think it would drop the value of it if you didn't, if you had to go through some weird back alley thing as opposed to like Gemini or Coinbase or some group like that. I think it's too established for that. And especially because uh, Bitcoin is highly transparent. You can see everything. You can just look up any wallet, like you can look up Satoshi's wallet or something and just kind of just see exactly where things went. And obviously it's associated with numbers, but like, like you don't have like names on the accounts, but you can kind of figure it out based on the transactions, mm-hmm. um, which is why anonymous coins are really good. Like Monero, you can't tell anything about Monero. It is both like anonymous and uncontrolled, like decentralized. So I I hope Monero is the future. It also has been removed from exchanges because I think of the privacy concerns. Like the government does not like Monero at all because the government actually has no control over it. Uh, So you can still get it if you buy Bitcoin and then transfer it for Monero on like certain coin swap places. Uh, But that is what I want. I think we should all go into Monero. We're we're not manipulating the market here at all, just to be clear (laughs) to anyone from the FTC listening to this. FCC, whatever government agency you're listening to, we're not manipulating it, but buy Dogecoin and Monero. <laughs> Can I get financial advice from the both of you? I got into... You're making the assumption that we have good financial advice to give, but okay. And I, and I think I think you have to legally tell me you're not giving it to me, because that's how all podcasts begin. Whenever they have financial advice, they go, this is not financial advice. <laughs> but I, 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 I got like... Less than a Bitcoin. It's not even a Bitcoin. But I got I got it at like 8,000 or something. And then it got up to 36,000 in February. And I was like, woohoo, I can sell this and compensate for all my other shitty crypto investments. Yay. And I was, and then I was, I was like, I'm going to be real fucking smart because I know how this is going to work. Last time, a bunch of other assholes got in at the peak and they all bought it because they didn't know what the fuck's going on. Not me. I have read an article since then. I am now a sophisticated investor. So I'm going to sell mine, wait a day until it tanks, then I'll buy it and I'll have twice as much Bitcoin. Then it went to 60,000 goddamn dollars and it's been hanging out there and I've just parked money in a Gemini account and every day I'm like, fucking drop, 
so I can pick up on the train and it won't do that. So I don't know. Should I just get in and be like, I guess I get half the, the Bitcoin I had because I pulled out too early or should I wait till it drops? What do you think? <laughs> I, I have a recurring buy on. So I can't, I can't look at it anymore. I used to ride the wave and it's like emotionally horrifying. I, I, I just happened. I just got into this coin early and it like sky, like mooned. And I was like, I don't know why it's mooning. There's no sign. I'm going to sell. I sold and then it doubled again. I was like, fuck. Uh, so I deeply feel you right now. I'm like currently processing the pain of that loss. Uh, but what I do is I just Thank like, you. do I think crypto is going to be up or down in two years? And I think it's probably going to be up, probably. And so I set up like yeah. a su- small recurring buy every week and I just don't look. And so it's just like very slowly okay. my portfolio creeps up and that's been a little good to me. I think mm-hmm. that's the way to go if you're going to do crypto, which is, you know what? Small recurring buys, you don't think about it. You hedge your bets on, you know, you choose... Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, a couple other altcoins, and you just wait it out and see what happens. Because otherwise, um, I mean, unless you're a day trader with this, you're going to be pulling your hair. And most people don't have the time to, you know, look into what is this altcoin I'm buying? Let me read the white paper on it and this random Medium article someone wrote on Facebook. (laughs) Most people don't do that. You're thinking just like chip away at it? Over like have the regular don't don't put it back in. Just draw from it on a regular occurring interval. Uh, it's just hard because we're in a bull market right now. Mm, yeah, I think it's going up. Obviously, like how much I'm going to recommend you do it, then it's going to crash or something. But you can also, if you own crypto, you can invest it in like a yield farming thing where they pay you money. Right. Yeah, that's why I got into Gemini because they uh, yeah they've yeah. got like an interest rate, and I was like, well, that's cool. I like that idea. So if it would just if you could listen, Ayla, if you could tell crypto to drop by like forty percent for a okay. day and let me know when that's going to be, it would be a major help to me. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll get on that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> It's next Tuesday, actually. That's when the drop happens. So everybody <laughs> nice. listening, you're welcome. Yeah. Have either of you heard of BitClout? No. What is it? No. Okay. I think it might be bad. So don't take this as... Uh, <laughs> but it's so interesting. <laughs> um, all of it. Andrew, take all your money and buy it now. <laughs> yes. Right now. No questions asked. But what is it? I'm curious about, so so for a while, what I've wanted is to have like a token that basically I own and operate. And uh, you can use this token to access porn of me, like various tiers or whatever, or like trade the token, or like if you hold it, you get access. And so basically people could treat the token both as like monetary, just regular buying and selling, but also as like a prediction of value. So if they think that like me as a brand is going to go up, more people are going to want the token in the future. Like they can also be rewarded for being like early buyers. Uh, so, like, for example, if you, like, bought my OnlyFans, quote-unquote, with this token, and then you waited a year, and then my OnlyFans got really popular, then, like, you may have made money on that. This is my dream. Hmm. This is what I want. Interesting. And there's a website that, like, might be heading in this direction, uh, like, BitClout. The only thing is, like, the person who made it is anonymous, which is a bad sign. Some people have criticisms of it, which I'm unclear. But uh, they make, if you are big on Twitter, there's a good chance that your t- coin exists already on BitCloud and you have 10% of it and it's probably valued at something. Wait a minute. What do you mean coin? So every person that's kind of a talking head on Twitter, they have a bet on you essentially? Uh, so what this thing did is it automatically, it took like the top 15,000 profiles on Twitter or something like this, automatically assigned them a coin and gave them 10%, like reserved it, like held it for them to claim if you verify through Twitter. Other people can go and make their own coin basically and like set a 
reward system that gives them a percentage or whatever. But is there's a good chance maybe that you might have some coin reserved for you. And if you log in and claim it, you can get that percentage. And um, maybe if people buy into the coin, it goes up in value, you can sell, which is a cool idea. And I really want it to be a real thing, but I'm like afraid to really shill it because I'm afraid it's going to turn out to be a horrible scam that goes nowhere. So the idea is that if you've got some sort of informational financial ecosystem that you control, like an OnlyFans site, where there are things that you are providing, you're creating a kind of microcurrency only applicable to that thing. Correct. The idea being that if more people are going to be in that thing, then the value of the currency to interact with it. So it's like this is such a horrible model. But you, you know how like if you go to a beer garden – you got to buy those goddamn tickets. You can't just pay people for the fucking beer. You've got to buy like a bunch of coupons yeah. and shit. It's like that where you've got like an ALA token where you're like, hey, like if you want to access tier two, you got to use the ALA token. But if a bunch of people are like, fuck, I love that beer garden. I want some of that. Then like if you get that token, you're also kind of investing in it. Right. Basically like stocks for people. Hmm. Which sounds terrible, but I am kind of intrigued and in favor of. Like this is like what occasionally when one of my friends is like like he's switching jobs or she's switching jobs or uh, and is nervous about it. I'm like, if I could invest in you, I would. Like if I could buy you LLC, I would buy that, and I would because I like again, it's better than the fucking Zimbabwe currency that I bought. <laughs> I guess it's definitely sounder. Uh, so it says we're moving that direction, which is good. Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, here's a question, though. I wonder if there's a way that you can own a majority of a coin then of someone, you know? I think so. Be a majority investor. What does that mean, I wonder, for the creator? So I'm I'm very not educated on how this works, but it's not a traditional exchange. It's, like a liquidity- it's okay. We could speculate the entire thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, 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 again, want to apologize for all the people who know how this works listening <laughs> Just like tearing their hair out. And for everyone who doesn't, we're all on the same page. No (laughs) one understands how anything works. We're making it up as it goes, like most cryptocurrency. Right. So something around the way that this coin works is something like a bounded curve. So there's not like a proper exchange where people buy and sell your token. It's like I buy and sell the token like to the program. And then the program decides like how much the next coin is worth based on how much it holds. So that way it's like, it kind of like slides up. Like the, So if I wanted to buy all of it, I think maybe that would be hard because it would price it up the more I bought. Something like this. I, I could be wrong, but it's not traditional. I wonder if we should then manipulate those markets, if that would be of interest at the moment. A lot of people are doing that. I wonder how much people are doing well out of it. I mean, about as much as people are doing well with crypto. Fair enough. I'm sure that most of those coins are shit, just like crypto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Somebody bought a whole bunch of my coin. Somebody bought, I think, like $600,000 worth. And they're just holding it. What? What the fuck are you doing? Like, I don't know. It's anonymous. It kind of freaks me out. I'm just like, maybe they're just like waiting for the value to go up and they're going to sell it all. That would freak me out. Like, if let's say somebody loved me naked to the tune of $600,000 and wanted, like, just wanted to be involved in that, but they never, I didn't even know who they were. I'd be like, I want to know who that person is. Yeah, who is them? Like, if, like, for $600,000, I'll fucking give you my number. You could call me. Like, we're like, we'll do a Skype thing. We'll do a Skype thing. I just want to, like, ooh, it's it's the, yeah, uh, Ayla, it's me. It's me. Oh, uh, this sh- whole thing's been orchestrated by me to finally meet you. Uh, I, I got it. I have your tokens. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I should, I should have known. You sounded kind of mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of like you could have spent $700,000 on me. 
600, sorry. Yes. It kind of moves. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I got it at 550, uh, but I see. I see an appreciating asset. But you're hobbling. And I was like, I'm going to yeah, get yeah. it on this. You think it's going to go. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's yeah. going to be exchanged when I tell you when the crypto markets are about to drop. Exactly. That's the rest <laughs> of the deal. And it's interesting to know that, you know, we're exchanging these coins of certain people, but unlike a company where you purchase a stock of a company where that company can now utilize that money towards work that they're doing, you can't do that. You can't say, oh, yeah, someone bought $600,000 worth of Alacoin, and now I can utilize that money towards projects I'm doing. Well, I can't, kind of can't. So this person bought a whole bunch of my coin. I was automatically allocated 10% or something like that, I don't know, of the total coin market for my coin. So when they bought it, my price went up like quite a bit and so of the coin that I own. And so I sold a little bit of it and I made like a lot of money, possibly. So you still have to exchange it um, into Bitcoin and there's not an exchange for that in existence because uh, supposedly this is so early and it's pretty normal for very early projects not to be listed on exchanges. Um, but there's an over-the-counter market, which I have not yet tried. So for our audience who doesn't know what an exchange is, because we keep talking about them, that's where you essentially, there are platforms where you go buy and sell these types of cryptos. Think of it like a stock market. Is there an ALA exchange? Whoever created this BitClout uh, type of currency has an exchange, presumably, that all of the subsidiary coins are on. But there's there's enough people in it. I don't know the the size of your following. I gather that it's very big. So there's lots of people that would be interested in doing this and in interacting on the OnlyFans site. But there's enough people that when you got like that 10%, you're like, bam, cash out. And you could just sell it and like be done. Right. So this is the confusing thing. It's not a traditional exchange in the fact that like when you sell a thing, there's not like a person on the other side buying. It's automated. And I think this is very similar to Uniswap, which I also don't fully understand. But Uniswap is basically you provide liquidity and somehow this allows the machine to like do it for you. And Uniswap is pretty well established. It's pretty genius. And so I don't get it, but I know it's a thing that seems to work pretty well. And apparently they're using a similar sort of idea for this. So it's like the the system decides how much a coin is worth, I think. And so you buy and sell from the system and the system is backed for BitClout. So there's your creator token, which is on BitClout. So you can exchange it from BitClout token or the coin to your creator coin. And then people buy and sell BitClout like normal on an exchange. So that part is like a regular liquid exchange, but the part from the BitClout to the coin is not a regular exchange. Wait, hold on. I just want to make sure I follow this. You can take your coin to the BitCloud exchange and go, I would like to cash this out now. And there's some mechanism by which you can somehow do that where it's not always, there's always going to be exactly 200,000 ALA coins you can go in and they'll kind of like subsume them and then they'll give you a bit clout coin and then you go to the, okay. All right. I think I'm I, in my mind, I'm picturing like when I leave the casino and I'm like, Hey, I got to go. Uh, my wife and my girlfriend are calling. I got to go now. And I, can I have some cash? And then they give me cash for the, the things and it just kind of stays in there. But like previously, if your coins are being used at the craps table and somebody else is at the poker table, we all go to the exit and cash in our, chips and get the Bitcoin in the sense of fiat currency elsewhere? Yeah, something like that, basically. And another thing is whenever somebody buys your token from the automated exchange thing, you can get a percentage of that buy. So you can get like an ongoing sort of income and you can set how much or the percentage, the lower the percentage, like the more people are encouraged to buy your token. And if you set it really high, probably nobody's going to buy it because most of it's going to go to you. Uh, But you get to get an ongoing sort of revenue that you decide how much you want. Nice. That sounds awesome. And following the show, we're, we're all going to just go ahead and manipulate the market on BitClout. <laughs> I'm going to go buy your token before the show airs. 
<laughs> I don't even know if I have a token. I'm about to either find that I have one or create one. And it, do you have to be verified on Twitter? I don't know exactly. Because I'm not verified, which I get always very angry about because I see people with like 2,000 followers verified. I'm like, just just please, I, I am me. I've seen copies of me. Just accept I am who I say I am. Twitter. There are duplicate Alice's out there. There are people that are purporting to be you. I've seen a handful of small copycats. I've been able to get them shut down, thankfully. But um, wow. yes, it's weird. Why does nobody want to be? I don't even want to be me. No one wants to be me. I, I got to work harder. And I've got a blue check mark. I don't deserve it. Also, Twitter had a like an open verification system for like the last two years. Yeah. So there's I that. think they just reopened it, I thought. So you might be able to try again. I would love that. Worst case scenario, I'll just say that I'm Chinese propaganda. I'll instantly get verified. So. <laughs> I guess the moral of this podcast is I thought I knew a little bit about crypto. The answer is I still know nothing about crypto, and I'm going to continue becoming more confused. And this is clearly a young person's game, and I need to spend a lot more time on this. So what are some resources that you're looking into to get acquainted with, aside from just, you know, being proactive and learning in the markets? Are there any resources or places you're going and saying, oh, that's a new thing I should check out? Friends who are in crypto, I ask them a lot of questions and I ask them, what group should I be in? Uh, I ask Twitter questions. Uh, occasionally, when I really want to know about something, like when I want to know about NFTs, I ask Twitter, like, if you know something about NFTs, like, let, I'll make a Telegram group where I just ask you all of my stupid questions to figure out how this works. There's also subreddits. Most coins have a subreddit attached with a lot of people who are very helpful. There are often podcasts associated with those subreddits if you um, find one you're particularly interested in. Yeah, just follow the forums, you know, follow the rabbit trail. Andrew, are you going to get further into crypto after this? I think this is one of those situations where I now know that my curmudgeonly attitude towards technology tends to be wrong. I was really opposed to Kindles for a while. I was like, oh, how could you? I clearly the better thing to do is to have this tome you open up with ink, like little black chopsticks on it. Oh, how? And I was really like like stodgy about that. And then I, I went and, and had to go back to school. And I was like, this is great. All these other people are breaking their back carrying all these stupid books. And I've just got this one little thing that I use. And, and I was like, all right, I'm sold. Like, I don't have a um, an iWatch because originally I was like, that sounds horrible. Like, you have to recharge your watch on a daily basis and anyone on the planet can text you. Like we don't even let felons have that happen to them with their ankle bracelets. But now I'm like, okay, now I see health benefits to it. Um, like, and I'm sure that I'll come around and be like, oh, I love it. And so I'm, I'm thinking crypto will be one of those things. The big thing for me is just, is this something governments are going to crack down on? They can't get rid of it, but they can crack down on it. And if it cracks down, is it going to lower the value of it? Which I suspect it would, but I don't know. Uh, and I, I think, Ayla, you make a very good point that like, the more people get into Bitcoin and Ether, the more of a public outcry there will be if that were to happen, um, where it's no longer just tech futurists and, and libertarians that are into it, but if it becomes much more widespread, it might be a thing. So I'm planning on on putting money into crypto, at least as a hedge against uh, inflation. And I think most of my assets will be ALA tokens and nudes uh, moving forward. Yeah. Nice. Smart investment. <laughs> Uh, there's uh -huh. also competition between countries. Uh, like countries have incentives to make sure that their economy is like good and novel and like doing like the cool new thing to gain power. So like it is possible mm -hmm. that people in government are going to be like, okay, if we suppress crypto too much, it might you know go mm -hmm. crazy over in you know China, and now we're threatened by them having an advance on something. So there's also that. plus like I could I could also see people just like right now. Let's say that like I decide. 
I want to cash out my 401k and I'm going to leave the country. I'm imagining that there's some hurdles there. The company that owns the four or that runs the 401k, which is not a lot because I'm a comedian. So it's not, nothing's impressive here. However, it could be a situation where they're like, well, we can't actually give you your 401k because we know you're under 65. We can give it to you in the event of you're buying a mortgage mm-hmm. or there's a hostage scenario, but those are the only two things permitted by federal law, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with Bitcoin, as we all know, you can like just withdraw it and send it. You can even send it and give yourself the number equation and write it down and do it later. So it's much easier to do. So I think if a bunch of people say like starting now are like, man, Uncle Sam's going to piss our money away. I'm not going to put my money in there. I'm going to put it in crypto. And then like 20, 30 years from now, it's a sizable chunk of cash. And Uncle Sam goes, hey, uh, we want all of that. Like I could see a bunch of people going, fuck it. I'll go to Costa Rica. Good luck catching that Mm -hmm. money because like I could just I can just text it to myself. So good luck intercepting that. Yep, exactly. And I think that'd be good because it'd keep the government honest, which I don't think it is. I agree. But yeah, so this podcast, uh, no one should assume that we give good financial advice. Um, So the last time I gave financial advice, funny enough, was regarding a stock. I'm not going to name which one, but um, a few weeks ago, it was at a nice dip, this stock where, um, so pre-quarantine, the stock was trading at around 1300 and then post like when quarantine hit it hit like 30 bucks and since then it got all the way up to like 88 89 dollars and i told people hey you know it's it's only 50 bucks now just grab it now because it's going to go up as people get out of quarantine and you know life resumes back to normal and then the boat happened Oh. So, yeah, the blockage in the Suez Canal, which was great because I, it essentially hit like a high. And then as soon as the boat happened, it cut in half. <laughs> so even more of a discount now. Even mm-hmm. more of a discount for a lot of people. But the worst part was I saw it was starting to go up even more. And I was like, oh, shit. And um, so I can't do math. And I was working on a new product line. And I had requested a loan from Shopify because now they do loans. So I was like, oh, let me get some money to help like pay this in the interim uh, You know, while the products are being made. It was at a really good rate. But I requested too much money because I can't math. And I was like, oh, I have all this money. Let me buy a bunch of this stuff. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, yeah, then the boat happened. So, uh, Wait, so you bought a bunch of stock using leveraged Shopify loans? Uh-huh. Is, that, is that my understanding? Okay, great. Again, Just sure. okay. I, am, I am not a wealth of financial knowledge. I, yeah. Don't. That is literally how the Great Depression happened. It was people taking Shopify loans <laughs> to buy stock on leverage. <laughs> yeah, so... Ayla, where can our listeners find more of you, your questions, and get uh, good and or bad financial advice? <laughs> uh, yeah, my Twitter is AylaGirl, A-E-L-L-A underscore girl. If you forget the underscore, you will get a very different experience. Uh, my website is knowingless.com, like knowing, like you'd, you want to know more, but I'm actually knowing less. And uh, from there, you can find everything. There's like a link tree in my Twitter bio and stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for it. This is really fun. Thanks for coming on. And I, I like that because, frankly, the more you do learn about a given topic, it re- you realize how much little you do know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Andrew, where can our listeners find more of you? 
I recommend that your listeners check out one of my two podcasts. I've got Alienating the Audience, which is a sci-fi podcast, and I've got another one called The Political Orphanage. If you enjoyed exclusively the part where I was ranting about inflation, and that was your favorite part of the episode, I would be surprised, very grateful, and you could go to The Political Orphanage, which is a, a podcast designed for people who are interested in policy but tired of the whole red team versus blue team thing. Or if you're a nerd, I mean, what's nice about uh, your sci-fi podcast, What what's the name of that one again? Alienating the Audience. Yeah, so if you want to hear about, for example, I came on and talked about lobotomies, and you have other episodes on, like, cryogenically freezing people. And oh, yeah, it's all over the board. I, my promise is, if you listen to three episodes in a row, your virginity will grow back. It's that wow. nerdy. It's that high-octane, distillate nerdism. That would be very valuable for me. Oh, my God, you could, you could auction <laughs> yeah. it. It would be great. Uh, yeah, we'd have like a whole new coin. Um, yeah, it's no, it's it's. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that. So we'll do like the economics of demolition man. We'll I I interviewed the president of a cryogenics company. I really like getting into the meaning of science fiction. I'm really interested by that. I like I like the underlying concepts. Awesome. And if you guys like this show, you could throw money at us on Patreon or PayPal or any which way you'd like. Uh, TwoGirlsOnMike.com. Hit the support button. It helps pay for our fantastic editor who puts up with us every single week. Uh, so go ahead and support us. And as usual, we do have some patrons to thank so this week we want to thank chad brooks eris knight brandon ogleby flying furry pickles christopher wage lewis brendan nash rich wendling gibbons camp matthew barrett lewis brian gowdy dave falco hyfing and more and again, you can pick up my Patreon at patreon.com slash twogirlsonmike or twogirlsonmike.com. Uh, you can follow me, Alice, at Rational Blonde. But we also, you don't have to throw money at us. We also like a good uh, review and rating on iTunes or however you're listening to this. Thank you again for coming on, guys. Thank you. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.